Welcome to the Audit Bytes podcast with your host, Robert Berry, where we talk about touchy auditing topics in bite-sized chunks. Whether you're just starting out in auditing or you're a seasoned professional, you'll find something of value here. Tell all of our fellow auditors. You can find us live on LinkedIn, YouTube, and your favorite podcasting platforms. Tune in and join us for a thought-provoking and informative look at the world of auditing. Hey, 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 friends. Now, thank you for joining us for episode number 34 of Audit Bites while I clean up a few things. So listen, my friends on LinkedIn, I am so sorry. LinkedIn has really bombed out on us again. And we are on YouTube streaming live right now. So I'm going to drop that link on LinkedIn so that you can come over and join us. I'll run the replay on LinkedIn, but for some reason it would not connect today. But welcome to episode number 34 of Audit Bites. Why you can't find talented internal auditors. Why you can't find talented internal auditors. So let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. Give me just one second while I see if I can make some last minute adjustments to the LinkedIn stream. Doesn't seem like I can. So now there have been some recent surveys that have said there is a shortage in the accounting and auditing profession. Now they've cited several reasons amongst those being, well, the profession may just be kind of boring. What do you think? Are you experiencing a shortage? I see a lot of jobs posted for internal auditors, and I see a lot of people complaining that they can't get them filled. So today, what we're going to talk about are five reasons you can't find talented internal auditors. Now, when I started scripting out this show, I realized that I'm going to have to do a part one and a part two because, my goodness, I came up with more than five reasons. But hence, the name of this show is Audit Bites. We like to try and keep it short. So we like to try and keep it to about 30 minutes. So let's talk about this. At one point in time in my career, I remember auditing an audiology clinic, you know, a clinic that helps with the hearing. The executive management team had requested that we do the audit. Now, the person that was actually in charge of the area wasn't necessarily too happy that he was going to be audited. But since it was a request, we went in and we did what I would like to think was a fairly decent job. While we were auditing the area, there were a few things that we discovered. One thing we found was that, well, you see, this clinic, they were giving a lot of services to the community. There was an aging population in the community that really needed their services. And so they logged everyone that they provided services to. Then when it came around to bill for those services, they weren't necessarily billing for everyone that they provided services to, partially because there was this rudimentary Excel worksheet that they were using, and it didn't necessarily capture everything that needed to be captured. 
So that was one thing. Another thing we found was that there were some services that they weren't billing for that they should have billed for. Now, after our team came in, we found that there was some revenue that they could have captured that they were not capturing. That was great, right? It's always good when you can increase your revenue. So that's what ended up happening. They ended up increasing their revenue. Now, there were some surprises in the middle of that. I mean, as if finding new revenue isn't surprise enough. There was <laughs> there was some additional surprises. After we finished the audit, we learned that at some point they actually were talking about closing the clinic. They were actually talking about closing the clinic because it wasn't making enough money. So guess what happened after this audit team found additional revenue? The clinic remained open. The clinic remained open. Now, isn't that, isn't that pretty good? As an auditor, wouldn't that make you feel good if you knew that you actually helped your organization from a profit standpoint, but also from a service to the community standpoint? It made me feel good as an auditor. Really made me feel good. So that brings me to the first reason why you can't find talented audit, auditing professionals. You don't make it meaningful for them. You don't make it meaningful for them. And what I mean by that is people like to feel like they make a difference. Nowadays, a lot of auditing shops, a lot of internal auditing departments do Sarbanes-Oxley work. And that's about as exciting as watching paint dry. But socks is not audit. I've said that before. Anyone wants to argue that with me, we can go toe to toe on that one. Socks is actually quite boring too. ask anybody who's doing it. Now, there are a few people that actually like it, but you don't really get down into the nitty gritty of the business. It is strictly compliance. And that, my friends, is kind of boring. And while it does have meaning, it has meaning of complying with the Sarbanes-Oxley Act. It doesn't have a bigger meaning. So one of the reasons you can't find good audit talent is because you don't make the job meaningful. Imagine being an auditor for a hospital. Now imagine also being an auditor that's looking at medical devices ensuring that there's some integrity surrounding those. So you're helping to make sure that someone's pacemaker is actually working properly properly when they are on your premises. Doesn't that make a difference? Imagine you're an auditor for Delta Airlines. For some reason, I always use Delta. I don't know why. Perhaps because it's my favorite airline. But imagine if you're an auditor for Delta and, you know, a part of your job is auditing processes. And because of what you do, sometimes planes actually arrive on time. Imagine that. That's meaningful. So one reason you can't find talented internal auditors is because you don't make the job meaningful for them. You got to make the job meaningful for people so that they feel like what they're doing is a part of something bigger. And I, I, I would challenge anyone to say that our job is actually boring. It actually is exciting and it actually is meaningful if you make it that way. Now, the second reason that I've found you can't find talented auditing professionals is your search process sucks. Your search process sucks. Anybody listening live or on the replay, when is the last time you actually applied for a job? And what was that process like? It probably was an extremely horrifying process. Now on the company side, 
there is absolutely no way you're getting to good candidates the way you currently conduct your job searches. There's absolutely no way that you are getting to good candidates. But let me explain what I mean by that. First of all, your search process sucks because you have no presence. You have absolutely no presence. Ah, thank you, Clarence. I see Clarence made it over from LinkedIn to YouTube. Sorry about that, LinkedIn. It just wouldn't connect. I'll run the replay on LinkedIn later on today. Clarence says that's a good, good topic. Clarence, I don't know how long you've been here, but for some of my LinkedIn people who are just coming over, the first reason you can't find talented auditors is because you don't make the job meaningful for them. People want to feel like they make a difference. And in that, they want to feel like what they do actually matters. The second point I have is your search process sucks. Your search process is onerous. It is too burdensome on the people who are applying and on your internal auditing staff. But one of the reasons your search process sucks is because you don't have a presence in the profession. You don't have a presence in the profession. Now, let me explain to you what I mean by that. Now, some of you may know my friend, John Tabor. John Tabor has an audit podcast. It's called The Audit 15. Now, what he does with that is for about 15 minutes, he'll bring on an auditor and they'll discuss a topic. Why is that important? Well, John actually has a job. John works for a company. His boss allows him to do that podcast. Here's another reason why this is important, though. If John actually put out a job posting today and said that he was hiring, I'm willing to bet because some people know him now and they like him and they trust him. They would want to work with John because you know what he stands for. You see, many of these audit departments, we have no idea who you are and what you stand for. And then you put job you put job postings out and expect people to apply. That's like going on a blind date. Anybody ever been on a blind date? You got a 50-50 chance of that working. Actually, it's probably a little bit worse than that. But when you have no presence in the profession, it makes it extremely difficult for you to find talented professionals. You have no presence in the profession. Now, the next point, though, why your job search sucks is because your job postings are problematic. Your job postings are problematic. Now, for that, bear with me one moment because I'm going to pull up a couple of job postings and show you exactly what I mean. Now, before I actually do that, too, the one thing that I want to say is I'm not doing this to be mean to anyone. I'm doing this to be st strictly constructive, strictly constructive. And so I want it taken that way. So I don't want you to say he's making fun of us. No, I'm not making fun of anyone. This is purely constructive. Um, give me just one moment here to actually share my screen with you. Okay. So now, here's a job that is posted currently. Give me just one second here. So here's a job that is currently posted. Now, I'm not going to say anything about this job in and of itself. What I am going to point you to is the 121 applications this job has received, and it's only been posted for four days. 
121 applications and it's only been posted for four days. Now, people in your department are having to sift through 120 plus applications. That's taking them away from their current role that they're performing. But also with 121 applicants, what kind of a thorough job do you think they're really going to do? On top of that, they're going to get burned out looking through that many applications. 121 applications for a job that's been posted for four days. Your job search process sucks. A lot of us use what I like to call the pray and spray technique. We pray that we're going to find somebody good and then we spray our applications everywhere. This one happens to be on LinkedIn. Again, I'm not saying that this company has done anything bad. What I'm saying is the administrative nightmare that this is going to create for people who are actually sorting through those applications is going to be burdensome. For people who are applying, suppose you have someone in this stack that actually meets your need. It's going to be hard for you to find them with that many people. It is going to be hard for you to find them. <laughs> I see Elizabeth has joined us. Elizabeth says she's finally figured out chatting on YouTube. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty easy. You hit that chat button. Or that, I think it says uh, uh, chat or go live. Live chat is what it says now since I am live. But OK. So now, yeah. So this job posting has 121 different people that have applied for this job. So how easy is it? How easy do you think it's going to be to actually find talent within a stack of 121 people? And it's only been posted for four days. Four days. So what that almost means is those who get in early will be the ones who actually get screened and seen. Let me say that again. Those who get in early are those who are going to be screened and seen. And do you want your job application process to be one that's based on timing? Or do you actually want to find the right talent? Now, now, your job process sucks. Your job search process sucks. What I'm going to do is show you another job posting. And my point to go along with that is not only does your job search process suck, but your overall job postings are problematic. Your job postings are problematic. Now, again, I only do this to be constructive. I'm not doing this to tear anyone down. I'm sure the points that I'm making, others are going to find them relevant also. Here's a job that's posted by Nissan. Anybody who works for Nissan, again, I'm not making fun of you and I'm not doing this to be destructive. I'm only doing this to be constructive. It's a job for an internal auditor too. Now, it starts off talking about life at Nissan and what's that, what that is like. And it says we are seeking an internal auditor, too, to join our team at the Nissan Motors Acceptance Corporation in Dallas, Texas. It says the internal auditor, too, plans and performs routine operational and regulatory audits. As necessary, assist in the testing of basic application and general IT controls assesses the quality and conditions of controls, reports findings, and makes, rec makes recommendations 
as to the adequacy and effectiveness of the organization's internal control system of internal controls, participates in regulatory, i.e. consumer lending laws and regulations, comma, SOX, evaluation activities. And last sentence, contributes to building brand value, achieving enduring profitable growth. Now, that's just the first paragraph. And I don't know about you, but I'm very confused right off the bat as far as what you really want. Let me explain what I mean by that. So it says the internal auditor two plans and performs routine operational and regulatory audits. That's the first sentence. Now, as an internal auditor two, I'm assuming and you know what you do when you assume. But all I have to do is assume right now. I'm assuming that that's right above the entry level internal auditor one position. But you're saying that I plan and perform. Usually auditors at this level aren't necessarily planning. They're still assisting. We'll get to that in one moment because down below they say assist. Do you want me to actually plan it and do it or do you want me to assist? Which is it? Is it both? Which is it? As of this moment, I'm really confused. Now it says as necessary, assist with the testing of basic application and general IT controls. So is this a quasi IT audit position? Possibly. I don't know. Then it says assess with the quality and conditions of controls, report findings and make recommendations. Then it says uh, participates in regulatory, i.e. consumer lending laws and regulations and SOX evaluation activities. Now, here's the point where you really need to say exactly what are the regulatory laws that you have to comply with, because you, you know what they are. If you're looking for someone that knows how to audit these, why would you not just put them in? Now, here's what I'm assuming. Nissan Motor Acceptance Corporation, I'm assuming that's the auto lending division. I only know that because I did some auto lending auditing for GMAC way back in the day. But for someone who doesn't know that, why would you leave it up to assumption? Tell people what it is that you want from them so that they can apply, so that the right people can apply. Now, under the responsibilities, it says plans and conducts audits in accordance with internal auditing standards. Which standards? Now, it should be obvious this is probably the Red Book, right? It's probably the IIA standards, but you also have the governmental auditing standards. You have ISO standards. Which standards are you looking for for somebody to comply with? Why would I apply for this job and I don't know what standards you're really looking for in an employee? Let's be really clear about what we're doing. It also says um, assist in the development of audit objectives in the creation of audit programs. Okay, am I assisting or am I leading it? Which one am I doing? Because down below you say develops audit programs and generate reports. So am I the one who's developing it and leading it or am I simply assisting in it by helping someone else who's responsible for developing it? I'm confused at this moment. I don't know what you really want from me. Now I'm going to cut this a little short because there was a lot more things, but down for the minimum qualification, it says a bachelor's degree in a related and CPA or CISA preferred. Um, CPA, I didn't really see much financial related in what they were looking for. Looked like a lot of operational. CIA, I get. CISA, if you're talking about your minimum qualifications, which one do you really want? Like, this is your minimum. When you say or, it could be preferred, but which one do you really want? Just let, let us know. Then it says three years audit experience or relevant professional experience what relevant to what what else are you like relevant what's relevant 
in your eyes, you have an idea of what you believe to be relevant experience. Let people know. So people with that relevant experience, let me give an example. Suppose I was a manager for a car dealership and I was on the financing side. So I know how the financing side works. Would I be a good candidate for this role since it is auto financing? I'm assuming. What relevant? What are you looking for? Okay. Now it says requires experience auditing basic application controls and some IT, some knowledge of IT general controls or compliance QA testing or solid cross-functional auto sales finance operational experience. Now, this is your minimum qualifications. What are you really looking for? I get what they're saying. One or the other would do. I get it but be a little bit clearer about what it's saying. Now, here's the real kicker. Must be knowledgeable in the use of Microsoft Office Suite software. Okay. Use of data analytic tools such as ACL, IDEA, or Microsoft Access. Now, here's where I really got confused because what this is telling me is either you are trying to implement a data analytics initiative or you already have one. If you already have one, you're already using one of these tools. So which one are you using? For example, IDEA and ACL, they pretty much do the same thing. They function a little bit differently, and some people like one versus the other. So if I like ACL and you currently use IDEA, I probably wouldn't apply for this job or vice versa. But which one is it? Don't make me guess. Which one do you use? You can screen out people very quickly by being by being very clear and concise about what it is that you're looking for. What are you looking for? Do you want somebody that knows ACL or IDEA or Microsoft Access? If you're open because you're just starting your data analytics journey, then that's something else I would want to know. Because then I could say, hey, I know IDEA. This is a tool I want to use. And here's what I can do for you using IDEA. Okay. So now, hopefully that makes sense. I'm going to get back to my. We're on episode number 34 of Audit Bites, and we're talking today about why you can't find talented internal auditors. The first reason is because you don't make it meaningful. Everybody wants to feel like they're a part of something. You got to make the job meaningful for people. Again, I just gave a really good example. If you're an auditor for a hospital, you're preserving and protecting human life. Isn't that meaningful? Second reason is your search process sucks. First part of your search process sucking is you don't have a professional presence. Now, the example I gave for that is my friend John Tabor with his Audit 15 podcast. You can listen to that podcast and see what his values are, how he views internal audit. And I bet as soon as he posts a job, a lot of people are going to apply because they know him because he has a presence in the profession. The other thing I said was, well, your job postings are problematic. I just went through a job posting that was kind of problematic, and it looks like most other job postings that are out there. Again, I wasn't picking on Nissan. Many other job postings look just like that one because that's just the way we do it. It's the way we've been taught to do it, but just because we've been taught to do it that way doesn't mean that it is right. Now, my third reason is you don't know what you want or, or, or need. You don't really know what you want or need. We just kind of throw stuff out there and hopes that and hope that something sticks. The previous job posting that I showed just kind of shows you just that. 
You don't know what you want. And to that end, you can't expect clarity from chaos. If you're not clear in your job postings, you can't expect to attract the right talent. You can't expect to attract people who are going to perform well on the job. Now, the fourth reason, this is a big one. This is a big one. The fourth reason is we as auditors have crippled communication skills. We have extremely crippled communication skills. And I'm going to dig down and give some real examples here. Um, <clears throat> we have crippled communication skills. The first thing I'm going to say is people have no idea what we do. And by that, I mean clients and sometimes even our own fellow auditors. So let me share my screen again, and I'm going to show you what I mean by that. And I'm going to tell you a story about something that happened recently. So recently on LinkedIn, I posted this. And what this says is, when things go wrong, blame the people responsible for managing the risk. And then I scratch that out and put the auditors. And then I put like a, a sad face, right? Now, here's why I posted this. We just recently had a huge bank that failed. We had the bank out in Southern California, out in California that failed. And upon the bank failing, I was watching the news and I saw two different things happening on the news cycle. I saw two different things happening on the news cycle. I was watching one news channel and they said, my goodness, SVB has failed. I wonder what caused it. And I wonder if the auditors had anything to do with it failing. And I thought that's a legitimate question. I wonder if the auditors could have caught this. I wonder what the auditors, what role the auditors played in this bank failing. Legitimate question. Then I turned to another news outlet and one of the pundits said, how dare the auditors allow this bank to fail on their watch? And I was like, wait a minute. That's that that's weird. That's weird. Both of those were questions, but they they really had two different frames to them, two different connotations to them. And so that's what I meant when I posted that. Now, after I posted that. Uh, Rhonda posted something that really caught my attention, and I want to thank her for saying this. So Rhonda is the chief disruption officer at Zuma Business Solutions. And here's what she said. She said, auditors only is to highlight issues of non-compliance and suggest measure, measures to fix them, not to find fraud or malfeasance. And then she said, I'll say that again. And she said, so how is your crappy system an auditor's fault? internal or external. And if you're using managerial accounting as the basis for decision making, ignoring the 11 accounting principles, how is this the auditor's fault? Okay, so now my, my buddy Hal had something to say. Hal said, okay, uh, it is not our job to only highlight issues of non-compliance. Here's the point I want to make, though. Rhonda is one of the clients that would go through an audit because she went on on that post to talk about what happens when she is audited. And she walked through the process and she said, auditor's job is to find 
non-compliance. Now, what I wonder from you, my friends, my fellow auditors, do you think that your job is to only find issues of non-compliance? Do you think that your job is to only find issues of non-compliance? Because here's what I'll say. That is not our job. Our only job. Let me say that. That is not really our primary responsibility. What we do is we provide an objective assessment and that objective assessment does one of two things. It gives you comfort that either A, things are operating as intended or B, things are not operating as intended. And to that extent, you hear this analogy sometimes, to that extent, auditors are somewhat like doctors. You have an annual checkup, right? Now, the results of that checkup, you hope are positive that nothing is wrong. And sometimes you get that. Nothing is wrong. Occasionally, the results may say may show that something is wrong, that you need to fix it. But your job as an auditor is to not always find something wrong. You are doing an object, an objective assessment similar to what a physician would do. That object, objective, that objective ass assessment. Huh, I'm tongue tied today. That objective assessment may show that something is wrong or it may show that everything is right. But my bigger point is our clients don't even understand that then something is wrong with the way that we communicate, which goes back to my point of why you can't find talented auditing, auditing professionals is that our communications are crippled. See, people don't even know what we do. Our clients don't even know what we do. Now, I'll take this a step further. We don't even know what we do. We don't even know what we do. Now, what do I mean by that? Ah, Mansoor, thank you for joining us over on YouTube. So Mansoor says many auditors don't know that. They think that if they don't find something wrong, the job wasn't well done. Thank you, Mansoor. That is the point that I am making. Many auditors have been trained to believe that our job is to find something wrong. Our job is not to find something wrong. Our job is to do an objective assessment. Here's the deal. If I can audit something thoroughly and objectively and I don't find anything and I can give my client a report that shows, hey, here's what we looked at. So in the context of what we looked at, we couldn't find anything. That's still a good audit because now I've given them some reason to breathe some reasonable assurance. Those words reasonable assurance mean a lot. You can never give absolute assurance. You give reasonable assurance. And I'm glad you said that, Monsieur, because you've seen it too. Many auditors, he says this again, many auditors don't know that. They think that if they, they don't find something wrong, the job wasn't well done. No, the job is to do an objective assessment. So again, to my point, one of the reasons you can't find good personnel is because we have crippled communications. Now I'm going to give a deeper example of what that means. So now I just told you and showed you about this post that I made. I said, when things go wrong, blame the people responsible for managing the risk. I believe that you should ask very relevant questions. But what I found was that some news outlets were asking really good questions. They were saying, well, I wonder what the auditors found. I wonder, did the auditors not find this? And I saw other news outlets that were saying, how dare the auditors let this slide? Those are no, no. 
how could the auditors let this slide? Both are questions, but they bring about two totally different results. What I said in my post with this was there's a difference between asking questions and questioning people. Now, to recap a little bit, Rhonda said the auditor's only job is to highlight issues of noncompliance. That's not our job. Only job. Our job is to do an objective assessment. But I appreciate Rhonda for this because it shows what our clients really think. Rhonda does make some excellent points further on. If you go read that thread, she had a lot of really good things to say. So I appreciate her for this comment. Now, someone else came onto that thread, Bobby, and he said something that was really good, too. He asked the question, was there a competent going concern assessment of the bank at the time of the audit? He went on to say, I don't support blame games, but all involved, including the auditors, if investigation prove any of them are culpable, must be held accountable. Here's what I like about this. He asked the question. He said, was there a competent going concern assessment? He didn't say, how dare the auditors not find it? Again, there's a difference between asking questions and questioning people. Thank you, Elizabeth. Elizabeth says, I don't think our only job is to find issues of noncompliance. There's a ton of other value we can add. I completely agree with you. But remember, my point was our clients think that our only job is to find issues of noncompliance. Hence Rhonda's statement here, which goes back to the primary point that I was making here is that we as auditors have horrible communication skills, which is why we can't find good audit staff. Who would actually want to take a job where they believe that their job is to fault find? Our clients don't understand what our job is. And as Monsoor just pointed out, many auditors don't understand what the job is, which goes back to my point. We have crippled communication skills. We have horrible communication skills. We have to own some of the reasons why people don't want to become internal auditors. I've had a very good career and it's been a lot of fun. And I know you have too, Elizabeth, because we, we've talked about it, right? So yeah, I do I do agree with you in what you're saying. Um, again, Elizabeth says, I don't think our only job is to find only find issues of noncompliance. Completely agreed, my friend, completely agreed. Now, now, so Bobby on this post said something really, on his response said something really good. Was there a competent going concern assessment of the bank at the time of the audit? Now, here's what I said in response to that. I said, finally, a great question. Because there was some, we'll get to some of the nasty comments in just a minute. So I said, finally, a great question. I like your thinking and where you're going with this, which was the entire, which was my entire point, meaning this was the entire point of my post. I said, ask good questions before placing blame. Again, if you say, was there an assessment done? That's very different from saying, how could the auditors let this happen? And so I was hearing two different things as I was listening to the news. I went on to say in my response to Bobby, with that said, I'm not sure if there was a going concern issue because I'm not. We got more questions. Then I also said, with that said, your question is in line with my mode of questioning for this situation. So in other words, I agree with him. We got to ask really good questions before you start to place blame. And if by asking those questions, you find out that some people were culpable, now they should be held accountable. But to place blame initially and then go back and backfill is bad. Now, here's where I say we auditors are terrible communicators. Here's a comment from someone else. I blocked out his name because 
My point here is not to embarrass someone. You'll go back and look at the thread and you'll see the things that he said and you'll see that they were quite nasty and very uh, inflammatory and also very uh, ad hominem arguments. Quite comical, but I'm just going to point out a couple of things. He says, at last, a sensible, honest comment that shows understanding. And he wrote the words understanding in all caps. So I guess he was yelling at me. So now he was talking about the comment that Bobby made. Now, mind you, this is the comment that I just said, hey, this is a great comment. I agree with this. So is he agreeing with me or is he disagreeing with me? Now, here's what else he said. He said exactly the opposite spirit and thrust of the post. So he's saying that this dude's comment was exactly the opposite of what I was saying in my post. I, I just but but did you read what I what I just what I just said? I just said, hey, Bobby, this is a great comment. This is where I was going with this. Glad you could discern that. But then he also said, absolutely right to question the auditor. Questioning is not blaming. Here, sir, is where you are wrong. Questioning can be blaming. It's not always blaming. Again, if you say, how could the auditors let this happen? Then you are blaming. If you say, like Bobby said, let's go back to what Bobby said, because this was a good question, good communication skills. Was there a competent going concern assessment at the bank at the time of the audit? That's not blaming. Saying, how could the auditors let this happen? That is blaming. So factually speaking, you are incorrect in what you've said. Then he said, people question and bloody right to. People should ask questions before questioning people. But my primary point in this is, this is one of our fellow auditors, and this is the way they think and believe. If this is the way I, one of our fellow auditors think and believe, imagine their communication skills in front of clients. Now, again, I don't say this to try and embarrass anybody. I say this as constructive criticism. If you go back and read, you'll see a lot of stuff was written in capital letters, which means you're screaming. Why are you screaming at me <laughs> when we can have a really good dialogue about something? The other thing that I noticed is you actually agreed with somebody who I just agreed with. So did you go through this much trouble to disagree with me? But again, my primary point in bringing this up is we as auditors have crippled communication skills, which is why my entire audit training business is built primarily around soft skills and the ability to communicate well with others. Because I just showed you in one instance where one of our clients actually thought that our entire job is to only highlight issues of non-compliance. That's our fault for not being able to communicate well with our clients. Then I saw you, I showed you where one of our fellow auditing professionals was actually yelling at me in a post, typing in all caps. He actually talked about me not being, having the skills to do the job and boasted that he's been a professor teaching internal auditing, oh, I'm sorry, external auditing for many years. And that's why I didn't know what I was talking about. The funny part is, I actually kind of agree with part of what he's saying here. I think that our guy Bobby actually did ask a great question and it did show understanding. So much so, that's what I said. Now, here's the other reason why our communication skills are stunted. You actually had to read my comment before you commented and you saw my comment agreeing with this dude and you still responded the way that you did. This shows that us auditors, we, we, we swear that we're right all the time. We will let feelings get in front of facts. So imagine doing that in front of clients. Now imagine your staff auditor seeing you do this. Nobody wants to be in an antagonistic environment. So some of the reasons we can't find good audit staff 
is because we have crippled communication skills. By golly, we can't even explain what it is that we do. We can't even articulate issues on a social media platform. Doesn't that sound odd? We should be able to communicate and articulate ourselves. So now, before we get to the last reason for now in part one that we can't find good internal auditors, let's just recap. The first reason is we don't make it meaningful for people. Everybody wants to feel like their job has some sort of meaning. The second reason is our search process really sucks. We we pray and spray. We pray and then we spray that job application everywhere. The third reason is, well, we don't know what we need. We really don't. The fourth reason is we have crippled communication skills. We have bad communication skills. And until we own that, we'll never end up doing better in communicating with our clients and communicating with bringing people into the profession. If we sit here and think that we are always right and that we have the best communication skills in the world, we'll never succeed. Better yet, how about we make communication skills as a part of our standard internal auditing curriculum? How about we do that? Okay. now my fifth reason is we don't stand up for our staff. There's an interesting story uh, out of South Carolina. South Carolina, for its for the state's fiscal budget, they had to write down almost three billion dollars because of an era that started in 2007 and just got worse over the years. An era that started in 2007 and got worse over the years. Now, if you read some of the news stories about it, and I'll see if I can find one and I'll drop it into the chat on uh, YouTube. Well, never mind. If you read some of the stories, they say that the auditors had been warning them for years and nothing happened until everything came to a head. Three billion dollars and no one was listening to the auditors who were trying to bring attention to it. That is just insane. Ah, DJ audits. <laughs> DJ said, I like to conduct audits here in the UK. I like to conduct them here in the U in the US too, man. It's actually quite fun. Um, so anyway, the fifth reason is you don't stand up for your staff. Can you imagine working in this audit department for years saying there's a problem here? It's going to affect us. There's a problem here. It's going to affect us. And then all of a sudden it comes to a head and it's a three billion dollar problem. Billion with a B. Now, I've covered in earlier episodes of this program where auditors were fired for doing the right thing. The one that I like to talk about the most is the city of Fort Lauderdale, Florida where this one auditor was fired for actually doing his job. There's another one where there's a university on the West Coast that I talk about a lot, where the auditors were fired for doing their job. But here's what I want to highlight here. When I say standing up for auditors, let me give you an example of what I mean by that. So recently, I posted something on LinkedIn that was basically a reference for me. But I want to know, I want to tell you why I did this. So someone named Cynthia worked for me at one point in time, and I asked her to give me a reference, and she did. She said, working as an auditor under your leadership was the best experience of my career. You trusted me, valued me, supported me when doing the opposite would have been easy. 
Your words to the management team was, I realize you don't like her, but the message of but the message of facts are the same whether she delivers them or I do. It's not about the message. It's about the facts, not the messenger. Sorry, I got a little tongue tied there. So let me tell you what was happening here. This was one of my employees who ended up being a really good employee. She, we were in healthcare and she knows healthcare backwards and forwards. I mean, she is a whiz. I realized that. And so I was grooming her for promotions. Now, the management team at this organization, I told her this, so they didn't really like her. And they told me they didn't like her. As a matter of fact, they probably wanted me to terminate her. I wasn't going to do that to a really good employee. Sometimes she said things the wrong way. <laughs> so what we did was we sat down and we worked together to improve her communication skills. Now, I'm no longer at that organization and she's since gotten promoted. One of the reasons you can't find good staff is because you don't stand up for them. Not everyone is going to be perfect. Everybody is rough around the edges. I'm rough around the edges. Cynthia was a little rough around the edges. If you're not willing to stand up for people who are otherwise good people and helping them to, you know, reach their full potential, then what are you doing? What are you doing? So, okay. Better yet, what are we doing? Because I am in this profession with everyone else. So episode number 34, why you can't find talented auditing professionals. You don't make it meaningful for your people. Your search process sucks. Our search process sucks. You don't know what you need or want. You have crippled communication skills in the way that you talk to your clients and your fellow auditing professionals. And you don't stand up for your staff when they need to be stood up for. I welcome any and all comments. LinkedIn, again, I'm sorry you didn't get to see this live because LinkedIn kind of bummed out on us. But I'll do the replay. Elizabeth, we're at the end anyway, my friend. But thank you for sticking around until the end. Again, I'll show the replay on LinkedIn a little bit later. And until next time. We'll see you later. Thank you for watching this episode of Audit Bytes. If you receive value from this podcast, do us a favor. First, tell other auditors. Second, give us a five-star review. And finally, talk to Robert about training your auditors. Our contact information is on our website, www.thatauditguy.com. It's also where you will find our course catalog, on-demand courses, a kick-butt blog, other podcasts, Robert's best-selling books, and last but not least, audit merch. That's right, we have audit hats, shirts, mugs, and more. Thanks for watching and listening. See you next episode.